This is called on leadership. Dot dot dot. LOL. Professor Joseph Ellis is a very cool guy. I just listened to the third talk over an hour I have heard in two days, and they are great fun. He has a good actor's sense of theatre, if not a great actor's invention, but he uses rhythm admirably, probably helped by Virginian accent. Rhythm, the undiscovered secret of persuasion. Anyway, he talks a lot about leadership. His speciality is the Founding Fathers, a good crew if one is investigating the myth of leadership. I wasn't clear, and I'm still not clear, how they led. Washington led an army. I read that early on in New England he ran into some hard cases who weren't just going to obey, but were passionate about their freedom and the perceived threat of Britain to that freedom. I thought last night after getting this Washington history bit, how easy and glorious it is to direct actors who are lit, passionate and curious. How the myth of leadership does not imagine work this way. They are invested, we are invested, in the idea that it is all them, all one. It isn't. This is the myth and we are addicted to it. Another example of harnessing the sixth side of aspiration to the non-individual individualist or the monarch delusion. What Washington found was people committed to fight. His leadership was a lot less necessary. And I guess in a non-electronic media age, one leads by writing the podcasts of yesteryear. So the lead are readers, and we can read still today what they wrote now long ago. So we have been led since by them, have been told they were leaders. Our political, political educated community have since made of them all Alexanders the greats, that is. They are leaders in hindsight, and I have no opinion on them, good nor bad, mostly because I'm almost entirely uninterested in leadership. I look at the led, or the unled, the assumed led, because this is how we imagine the world works, by inspiring or not leadership. The Brits are obsessed with it, the notion of effective leaders. And since their doings are much more visible than in the U.S., one can see why they are obsessed. Inspiration is very thin on the ground. So while the debate can simmer about whether they were or were not remarkable fellows who wrote remarkable letters to remarkable wives, it seems once more that they are what we need them to be. And since the club from which they spring and the halls in which they communicate are premised on the specialness of the individual, since their deliberations are respectfully full of gentle ladies and honorable gentlemen, and since their observers and commentators seem to be of the same mind, we are stuck with the overwhelming concept of leadership, in which I do not traffic. My observation of things of society, of the doings of society, is not a war. I don't feel definitive about these things. That is a characteristic of the leadership cult, however. Without so-and-so and such-so-and-so, such-and-such would never have happened. But what really has happened in the long stroll of history? 
Somebody led by something takes it into his head, always a him, to get a gun and shoot some people, for example. Maybe this is the true meaning of individual choice. A single person becomes a mob with a gun. Mobs need inciting, leadership. Trump is an inciter in chief for sure, but speaks to a culture that needs leaders. He just tips the already self-radicalized and points the finger of blame. The shooter is badly led by any estimation, led in a wrong direction, but can imagine himself a great individual. It took a Senate to kill Caesar. They all wanted a share in it, led by leaders. What, who, after the stabbing, it turned out, were completely ineffective. What I want and need to hold as truths are reflected, say, in Dr. King or Jesus, Fred Hampton or Rosa Luxemburg, to choose a few. There are very few. Their response to humanity's dreadful tendencies are inspiring. But who led us in those tendencies in the first place? And why did we kill all these people? Didn't the appalling behaviors of white supremacist America beg the question Dr. King and Malcolm X answered? Roman barbarity and the collusion of Jewish kings demanded a Jesus? Hadn't the Baptist come before and many more? Rome and its killing machine had been at it for hundreds of years before Jesus, led by some famous leaders and still admired and emulated by imperial butchers since. All put down to remarkable leaderships, who seem to me, looking back, to have been Jared-like, just narcissists. And then I remembered a very interesting older gent came out to do some plumbing for me a couple of months ago. A plumber. He worked for a plumber. He too had rhythm, Jersey rhythm, a sort of booming but quiet cadence. I don't, but I don't think he has a thought about leadership. Ever. As per Jared wanting power, I thought a big chunk of the country are obsessed with leadership, whatever it is, and their need is so great to break it down, understand it, that it takes measure, take its measure, use it as a measure by which to gauge all of life, while for many of us it only comes across the brain when it becomes an encumbrance. And why are so many academics obsessed with leadership? It seems to be a dominant field of inquiry, whole expensive majors in management, assuming a dullard inferior workforce. Have you never seen an enthusiastic dynamic group building anything? Do you really imagine they are waiting for your inspiration? <laughs> All kinds of things need to go wrong for someone with a management degree to be useful. In fact, the system has those bottlenecks built in to make them necessary, myth inserted here. As a wise person said, education teaches some of us to be bosses and some to be bossed. This does not work particularly well for either community, but it is a lucrative myth, lucre, the reality behind most myths. Why academics particularly? They have major leadership fantasies. They teach looking out at young faces, wondering, am I respected, loved, appreciated? I am threatened by this gaggle of the otherwise uninterested, here for good grades to please daddy. 
All this the teacher knows at the useless or gratuitous end of education post-high school, the hysterical terrors of Jonathan Haidt or Haidt and his lot. Listen to me. My high school teachers had none of this. There was a detente. We were not yet drugged by competition and the school was free. High school is where the great teachers end. The height terror is just that the bright kid has the tools to undress you. High school was enough. After that, you are relying as a teacher on a delusion that they should listen, not challenge, and respect you. It is high comedy. It is the presumption in Oleana which made of that a comedy for me. The professor is abusing the student from his first uttered syllable. Even funnier is that this is probably not what Mamet intended, but it is what I saw. His projected audience were the armpit sniffers of academia. I was surrounded by the, them in the theater that evening, snorting, hysterical. So many people, so many people are convinced most humans can do nothing without leaders. I don't believe this at all, but I wonder where this conviction comes from. The only people in my experience who need leaders are those wanting to be one and not being one, imagining there is some art to it, some genius, a holy charisma that falls upon a select. It is twaddle. I think whole large, if not overwhelming, number of people just feel, well, we better indulge these self-important sad babies every few years, or they might do themselves a damage. I, and I'm sure these strong folk lose heart every now and then or get demoralized. All hierarchic cultures have ways of making you play their pathetic game one way or another. They pay teachers badly and the useless fabulously. It erodes common sense even, burdens the soul. But before this affliction takes hold, many of us are very happy to live a life of equals. None instructing, controlling, directing, inciting, infusing, inspiring the other. Once in a while, we need a doctor or a lawyer to put us straight on important things. The rest of the time, that part is silent. But every few years, a bunch of people get on the various grapevines insisting how important they are and that without them, the sky will fall. And I realize tonight in the bath, they are a breed apart. Somewhere in the hallowed halls of Yale and Harvard, on the golf courses of Florida, there is a breed of men men and women obsessing, practicing in front of mirrors, reading and writing and selling books to the like-minded obsessives about leadership. Business world is full of it, especially since monarchy was painted a little darker in our imagination, and they bought the books, the how-tos of leadership, and rushed out to buy the new clothes that emperors wear, swearing they are real and there. It is the babble of no street, it is the babble of offices and professorships and newsrooms and movie makers, and the desperate geese cannot bear the thought that we give not one toss, some of us, for their noise in their overwhelming insecurities. There is a great line in the piece I am working on. The fact remains that he basically hates himself and his opportunism, his immeasurable need for recognition, and his now apocalyptic vanity are all based on one thing, a consuming drive to drown out the pain in his psyche trauma of a monstrosity. This is an extreme case, maybe. No, not Ted Cruz, but this man was very successful in leadership. And I wondered after my plumber left, 
Who is it that needs to hear more after the escalator ride, after the first Fauci appearance? What is it about us that needs to hear the same drone over and over? How few of us and how shrill that minority is. Now, I understand why people wanted to see Elvis more than once in Vegas or on the hayride. A very primal something is taking place there. Did we bring our collective griefs to Washington to hear Dr. King? Yes. Did we bring them to the Mount? And did the two great speakers that that day give us sustenance? Were they leaders? Yes. But of that quality, we don't need many. And we murdered both. Sometimes watching, say, Intelligence Squared, one thinks of the films of American bison bulls bashing each other's heads together or a young lion trying to take the females from the old king. The appeal of the Instagram reels wear off, but lingers longer than watching two puny epic academics going at it, which is in turn more interesting than the new phenomenon of echo chamber, where two males groom each other like Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson, each obsessed with their leader's stuff while Calypso singers laugh at them and sad shut-ins practice their Ben Shapiro's and bed-sitters at midnight. Snipers is the word that comes to mind, or gnats. Imagine these fools in D.C. that day or sermonizing on a mount. I think this new creed, this new nabob, is fed by a growing population of idle fellows no longer participating in much that is real. They dodge drafts, grow nothing, build nothing, create nothing, but work on their leadership obsessions. They are called pundits. They are CEOs. They write books of enlightenment and sell them in darkness. They make movies to indulge our need of terrors and tears. I have met them and they are mired in it, bewailing their fate, feeding a limited lot. They, they say when they are the limited ones, we make what we like to see. They have a skill. They are irritants. They have a crowd collected. Men and women who are confused and constipated. Midlife crisis of the soul suffering since their roadmaps have led them into uncomfortable, arid places. And it is someone else's fault always. And usually a conspiracy is what brung them down. Leaders are now those who have identified the oppressor that we don't didn't used to know was there. Unfortunately for all of us, the man on the mount had this in his back pocket and left it with us to abuse. It is a great testament that the man in D.C. never indulged the back pocket card his creed encouraged. And I wonder at Professor Ellis' imaginations. I admire him and the tackling of the subject, but I'm not sure why he engages with it. His task, he says, is to humanize the founders. I don't need that, but he does run in a pack of idolaters, and they do need it. They do need to be set free of this leader need. It is quite unseemly and opens up the can, the Pandora's box. But it isn't the idol that counts. It is who needs them. It is those who need them. It is good not to misquote Brecht. He did say, through Galileo, unhappy the land that needs a hero. He didn't say resist the temptation of making heroes. He said, don't need them. Or do the unchristian thing of looking into the heart of temptation and allowing it to drain away, replaced by something much more life-affirming a life of non-deprivation, especially self-deprivation. There's a funny joke 
I will not tell it well. Someone one day in the 60s, that blatant decade of gurus, who became the Jordans, Joes, and Bens of now, wanted to know the meaning of life. He sought high and low, traveled far and wide, asked hundreds of wise persons, spent decades in search. At last, in the village in the Himalayas, of course, he found the most holy and highest of gurus, and in exhaustion asked this last person the meaning of life. A bowl of Campbell's soup was the wise man's reply. Well, our seeker fell apart, tore and beat breast, wept for days, would not eat, fell into a fast, and thence to a funk, came to the edge of death, until at last the guru came to their house, and in an attempt to save them, where all else had failed, said, you mean it isn't Campbell's soup? I don't really know what my plumber knows. We didn't talk much, but I have a sneaking suspicion. He knows enough, enjoys his work, solving real problems, and lets the spirit take care of itself. And if a problem arises of identity or truth, he might have the resources and faith to seek within and not ask anyone, especially those who advertise as experts for answers. And lo, the leader need would evaporate. It is fun, adulthood.